Hey everybody, this is Nate Smoyer, and you're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. This is the show where we sit down with the leaders in real estate and technology to find out what they're doing to transform the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. If you've got an interest in real estate and technology, stick around. You're in the right place. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you're at, it's good, and we've got a good show for you lined up today. We've got the co-founder of a company called Lex. Drew Starrett is going to be on the show today. We're talking about what they're doing in building the world's first stock exchange for commercial real estate. Uh, As the website says, don't buy brands, buy buildings. So instead of going out and buying Tesla or buying... um, what do people buy on the stock market these days? Home Depot, Lowe's? I'm not sure what the hottest stocks is. I've been paying attention to real estate. But instead of buying those brands, why not buy the buildings around you, in your neighborhood, in your favorite city, in your favorite destination place? And that's, that's what uh, Drew's asking. We talk about why this is a good thing, how that's going to work, when it's going to be available, who's likely to use it. And then we get into a few other things that I didn't see us getting into, like Hey, uh, when things to consider when raising money for your startup, uh, or maybe you shouldn't raise money for your startup. So anyway, uh, really excited for this one. I think you'll enjoy it. Listen in. Well, hey, Drew, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Nate. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you taking side the time on a Saturday to join me here. Uh, we are live streaming again, TechNest Live. That's going to be my new like sub-brand. Technest Live. Uh, maybe one day when I'm competing with Cheddar. Um, yeah, no, I appreciate you taking the time on on a Saturday to do this. I apologize in advance if I end up having a coughing fit in the middle of this. I'm coming off a, a brutal cold as the Chicago winner finally caught up to me. I've been taunting it saying, give me your best. Give me your hardest. And this week it did. It knocked me on my butt. So anyway, uh, before we get started here, let's start off with the basics. Please go ahead, introduce yourself, let everyone know who you are and what you do. Hi, I'm Drew Starrett. I'm the CEO of Lex, allowing everyone to access commercial real estate side-by-side with institutional owners and sponsors. Okay, that's not even the slightest bit of like a just subtle thing. Like there's a lot of apps out there. There's a lot of like, you can compare buildings to buildings, but you just went on and just to the next level said you created the first stock exchange. Okay, so all right, let's break this down and jump into it, the meat here. What's the, the big problem you're trying to solve? So the big problem we're trying to solve is opening up one of the oldest and largest asset classes in the world to all investors while allowing them to have transparency, liquidity, and access. Okay. And for the layman's out there, like how does that help them? What do they do with that information? One, it gives them for the first time ever the ability to invest in these type of commercial assets. So me, myself, I was priced out of this in the very beginning, and that was actually one of the catalysts for the creation of Lex. And so we were trying to figure out how we open it up to the everyday folk, and then also allowing even the institutional investors who have had access before to actually participate as well and create an attractive offering for them. Right. Okay. So this is you know basically, the, the most people just have no way into getting into real estate investing, let alone getting into class A or commercial uh, real estate investing. And this is an opportunity to let people have a share of it. Let, let them get a slice of it. Yes. Most, most of us in everyday America do not have the ability to invest with Blackstone. Uh, we don't have, 
five to $50 million to put into their multi-billion dollar fund. Well, we should even clarify because if many institutions or excuse me, accredited investors don't even have the opportunity to invest with Blackstone because there's, there's, so there's a few different levers here, right? So you have non-accredited, which is the majority of people. Accredited is what? Like you have to make 250 a year and a million in assets minus your personal dwelling. Yep. Okay. And then even if you have that much, you don't meet the minimum buy-in to participate in institutional investing. No, not at all. And then when you do, let's say you even do meet the criteria, you then have to put a significant amount of your holdings into usually one undiversified position. So right. from an allocation perspective, it's actually not highly advised. And then from those perspectives, and, and even still, you're probably not getting the preferred rate of return. No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> so, okay, so there's a lot of reasons, a lot of things here is like, okay, we have to find a new way or, or a different method of how do we get to participate in these fantastic deals. I want to tackle something before we get into the, the tax here. I want to tackle something from your website. It says, um, don't buy brands, buy buildings. Why is that important to you guys? Why is that so significant that it's front and center on the website? So the whole idea is shifting thought. So it, we're all used to buying stocks, right? So we're, we saw Tesla take a major hike over the last two weeks. Apple's at an all-time high. Amazon's at an all-time high. So we associate and purchase into these stocks that we understand, we know, and we interact with. And the whole idea is we're educating people on a new securities class that they may not be as traditionally familiar with from an investment perspective, but that they deal with on an everyday basis. Since everyone has a home or pays rent and they go to work, so they fundamentally understand the whole idea of either they're owning an asset or living in one and participating right. in one and creating value for that asset. So right. it's the whole idea of that mind change where instead of buying into Tesla and all these other shares, you're buying into a new security. Got it. Okay. And yeah, that, that, that makes sense to me. At first, actually, when I read it, I was thinking, um, don't buy into brands as in like, um, I was thinking of other funds. Or, or people, because there's a lot of people, um, you know, the topic of, and I, I guess we can talk about this as to why this is different than uh, buying into a syndicate, um, you know, because, uh, well, it, many reasons, it's not even the same thing. But uh, I was thinking through like when people uh, have their own brand, a syndicate, like you're buying into that person. That's where my mind went right away. But I think it's the same thing as what you're saying here. Um, one thing that has my curiosity, though, is because, um, you know, I, I'm in the space of prop tech and looking at all the different products that are coming out and services. Um, and there's a lot of talk of fractional ownership and buying and selling and trading. And, you know, um, why is now the time to focus on this, this area, of this, this way of buying and selling or even viewing real estate? Uh, as a tradable, is it fair to say a tradable commodity? Is that the right way to say it? Well, tradable security. Security. Okay, thank you. There we go. Yeah. Uh, so sort of a few reasons. One, it's the whole idea of we've seen a movement sort of across the board. We now have the masterworks of the world, which allow people to invest in artwork, um, sort of the highest level art that I could have never imagined ever purchasing into, to Rally Road, which allows you to buy fractional ownership and luxury sports cars. There's another company called Otis that allows you to buy fractional ownership in shoes and comic books. 
which is an asset class that I have never even considered. And we sort of see it across the board. And we sort of saw it pioneered by Lending Club and Prosper with the unsecuritized debt notes um, that were also able to be traded. So I think there's been a trend and a movement towards opening up alternative asset classes. And given changes in regulation, given advances in technology, given sort of change in public perception, we're now at a point where we're able to truly open up these asset classes to sort of everyone at large. And it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's obviously a ton of different options there. And, you know, I think with uh, there's probably some combination also of like technology meeting market demand and the, that once the market demand or awareness, you know, kind of catches up to where technology is, which, which seems to be more the common tale anymore of, well, if only we could get everyone to just kind of catch up on what's possible, we could do this cool thing over here. Um, but uh, so, okay. So you guys are not yet available, right? So people cannot yet today go and, and buy and sell uh, shares of, of buildings. No, but we're allowing for indications of interest, hopefully within the next three weeks. So about okay. one days. Okay, so you guys have like a pre-sign-up list. And then what is an indi early indication of interest? What is that? So it's a period called testing the waters. And so that allows for people to gain a high-level understanding of the investments that are coming through. And mm -hmm. so once the investments are qualified, they'll then actually be able to make a purchase of the securities, but this is effectively showing that they are looking to participate once these securities are qualified. And is that going to be open to both accredited and non-accredited? Everyone. Oh, wow. Okay. So, and so I'm on that, uh, I'm on the wait list. So I'm going to get that email that I can indicate uh, early interest. Yes, absolutely. And also if you share it with your friends, you're able to move up in the list. I know That's you right. did that for I did Jess. That I, got, I did that last weekend or, or last week and I had somebody message me about it uh, and they were like, and you know, they weren't trying to be rude. They said, what's the big deal? And I said, well, they said, well, wait, is it for accredited and not accredited? Cause that would be a big deal. And I said, well, yes, that's, that is one of the big deals that anybody is going to be able to participate in this. Who do you think though, out of, you know, because that, that's a wide range. I mean, what we're essentially saying is that anybody and, and your target is that, a hundred dollar minimum, correct? Correct. So that's the purchasing of a single share. Okay. So you can, you can jump in with as little as a hundred bucks. So, you know, if you had nothing, even if you're working at McDonald's, honestly, you could find enough money to put, you know, figure out a way to buy some real estate basically. Um, but talk me through who do you think your ideal customer is going to be? Who's, who's the person that's going to use this? So it's really everyone across the spectrum. It's people who are just starting to learn about investments themselves, who are looking to create a portfolio for the first time, to everyone sort of on the other end that may already have real estate portfolios and investments and assets that they actually own and operate and manage. Mm -hmm. And so they're also looking for different exposure in different markets and different asset types and being able to adjust their portfolio quite easily. Got it. Okay. So, and then, so you're not saying like, we're looking for bankers, we're looking for real estate professionals who are just too busy and don't want to be the landlord. It's really going to be across the board. Yeah. And that's what we intended. Yeah. The idea is bringing everyone together. It's not 
just having one segment or another segment since you have you're able to create a very valuable product and also market mm-hmm. when you bring everyone sitting side by side with each other okay so i i didn't think of this before the show but now i'm thinking about it now because you're saying everybody so could a company instead of doing 401k uh contributions could they set it up with lex instead Correct. Like, could they so do like a the offerings are ERISA compliant, so you have the ability to put this into um, different 401k or IRA plans as well. So you could be investing in real estate pre-tax. Correct. Oh, see, that that I really like. That I want. <laughs> that yeah. I want a little, that, that's a, I want that now. Give, give it that to me now. But it's not leveraged money though, is it? It's just Parada equity and individual assets. Right. Now, how are you going to determine the price of per share? So we base that off of sort of two parts. One is a third-party appraisal who helps actually determine the price of the offering. And then also it's the yield and the cash on cash return. So because these are, for the most part, core and core plus stabilized commercial real estate assets, Mm -hmm. you fundamentally have a decent understanding of what you're purchasing into and have expectations on what your cash returns should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the go forward 12 months and looking forward. Uh, so they ha- investors have the ability to make that determination for themselves. Mm-hmm. So it sort of gives them a very good understanding instead of going into an acquisition or a development project where you may have a lot of uncertainty for a long period of time, you're buying into a property that already has operations in place. Got it. Okay. And um, so the, these buildings... Uh, obviously, there's got to be some sort of qualifications to come onto your marketplace because I'm assuming you're not just accepting uh, shares of the warehouse that burnt down in the 60s that's been sitting vacant that someone's looking to extract capital out of. No, no, not at all. So okay. we have a very rigorous underwriting process. Okay. So we took the standards from actually life insurance companies issuing commercial real estate debt and oh, then actually upped... Uh, many of the areas where we thought there could be improvements and just to make sure that they're just making sure that we're dealing with the best actors and have data integrity and the information that we're receiving is what's really important to us. Why did you go that route? Like what, what prompted you to look at life insurance? So they have some of the higher standards when issuing commercial real estate debt. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you had some insider knowledge that they are industry leaders. So okay, and work off of the best and then improve from there. I wouldn't have thought that, and maybe I should start thinking about what would an insurance company would do. (laughs) That should that should be a new phrase. If you're, I don't know, maybe yeah. What would an insurance company do? (laughs) The the thing is, though, if I ask that on everything, I'm gonna not do a whole lot. No, no, I think you move very slowly and. That's got. I mean, that makes things challenging, though, for sure. Um, so, uh, we, we, okay, we've gone over a few things here um, from the user perspective. Uh, one thing we haven't talked about, though, is minimum holds. So, typically, if I buy into like a fund, right, and I, I, I don't want to create the false comparison here to a fund because I know that it's not exactly the same. But there's usually I have a minimum hold time, which means my capital is not liquid. But if this is buying and selling like stocks, it should be fairly liquid, right? Correct. So there is no hold period. 
you have the ability to buy a share and then three seconds later sell that same share. Okay, two follow-up questions to that. Then on the site, it says you can trade with no fees. Correct. All right, the most obvious third question in that line of sequence is how does Lex make money? So we make money actually off of a few different business lines. So the real estate owners pay a fee for conducting the offering to the public. And just to okay. clarify, that fee is coming directly from the real estate owner. So the investor, there is no fee load to the investors. So for every dollar purchased of yep. equity, it's, yep. they're receiving that amount of equity. It's not in the old private REIT days where you'd have a 10% fee load. So if you put in $100,000, you're only receiving $90,000 of equity. If you're putting $100 in, you're receiving $100 of equity. Got it. Okay. And so then it's, so basically the fees of, of like what you're going to make is, is captured up front. Uh, it's captured up front. And then while we do not charge our retail investors any trading fees, we're also plugging into other financial institutions to be a member of our alternative trading system, which is okay. ATS one level below a national stock exchange. And so they will be paying trade fees, but for our investors, coming through our retail brokerage platforms, they will not have any trading fees. Got it. Okay. Then, yeah. There's other, there's data, there's uh, the ability to white label the alternative trading system to allow others to access the platform that we have a few different business revenue lines. Okay. Well, I mean, that's cool. I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, you got to make money if you're not making money. It, I think the saying goes, if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. Right. Right. So I believe being a company that works in the black. Yeah, there you go. See, there you go. I, I appreciate that. Um, and, and then, so, um, well, let's move on from there. I don't, I don't want to, there was something else I wanted to go down, but I, I, I want to keep moving here. So I want to talk about some of the differentiations because there's, um, like I mentioned, there's, there's quite a few different opportunities right now. I can buy and sell real estate in a few different fashions on my phone, right? So I can, I can buy into a fund, there's tokenized ownership with, well, I, I can't even describe the blockchain crypto opportunities that exist because I still have never had anyone explain it to me in a way that, you know, the old Michael Scott, uh, if you're a fan of The Office, where he's like, explain this to me if I was, I was a fifth grader or something like that. Like, that's why I need someone to finally break down blockchain and, and crypto. But there's tokenization models out there, and then you have funds. How do you differentiate yourself from all those other opportunities out there? Like, what are the key points of differences? Yeah, so for the majority of the other players in the space, they're fiduciaries, they're asset managers, they're issuers, and they're, they are also investment advisors. And so what we do here is Lex is really provide real estate owners and investors the ability to access this product and actually conduct this offering on an initial origination basis and going forward through the life cycle of the asset. So we're actually not the issuer. We just enable the real estate owners to capture value by doing this process and then allow investors to come and participate and capture value on the other side of the deal as well. So we're the financial infrastructure. I like to sort of say we're the financial plumbing to allow all of this to happen. So we facilitate this from the beginning to the end. Got it. Okay. 
that that helps i think break it down um i'm still the next time you and i talk i'm gonna be like hey can you break down the difference one more time yeah uh, but that's that's I'm, I'm one of those people you know i need it like six different times before it finally sets in and you see my my eyeballs get really big i'm like i got it well let me let me put it this way too so for all of the other groups that you sort of mentioned we have yeah. the ability to work with them to create more value for them that's that's even that's interesting to me because like you're so that you're kind of i don't want to say the platform to rule them all but your words not mine <laughs> i mean you know really you know i'll go with it you know because like if there's if there's funds over here and there's ways of buying into specific buildings over here and there's you know we'll just throw in the crypto. I don't know if that'll apply or not, but we'll just put that in there in that bucket. But you have the platform and they can all then actually be part of the platform and the platform facilitates that transaction just the same. That, that increases the value to me because now I'm not having to shop to multiple different places. Like if I do want to manage a portfolio from one, one app or one central point in keeping track of my money and, and how it's being used in real estate, I can, I can do that in that way. Um, and that makes a lot more sense to me versus like, you know, it, I mean, imagine trying to buy and sell stocks and having to have different apps just to buy different stocks. Yeah. A little frustrating and hard to keep track of everything. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of what real estate is today. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, actually on that note, we're also working to integrate with a number of the major wirehouses and brokerage firms. So let's say you're working and have a bank account or a Robinhood account, you'll be able to access these securities through the places that you already own your other stocks as well. Oh, okay, okay, hold on. So, so like, uh, I'm I'm breaking the mold of millennialism. I don't have a Robinhood account. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I still haven't signed up for my free Tesla, um, like five dollars, um, but. So you're saying I could have a Robinhood account and buy and sell real estate assets and it would be provided through Lex? Is that how that works? Correct. So in the future, you, you should be able to access Lex via all brokerage platforms. That's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, do you have a date on that one? We're dealing with two of the oldest and largest sort of institutions in the world, commercial real estate owners, and then also financial institutions. I would say commercial real estate owners are heads and shoulders above financial institutions on sort of making you feel, have a little more gray hair. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, we're working through many of these integrations right now. So we hope to have it in the, I wouldn't say the short future, since it takes a little while to go through yeah. to make sure that we've covered all of our bases from a risk and compliance standpoint. Right. Yeah. Medium term future. Now I have no doubt you guys have encountered uh, uh, a few challenges in building this product. And I'm, I'm assuming some of them would include some governmental red tape. Um, can you share what have been, what have been some of the most significant challenges you had to overcome in creating this product and also getting it to the point of, you know, really, because you, you are very close to releasing this to the public, you know, getting to where you're at today, like what, what are some of those big hurdles you've had to overcome? So the, I would actually say the main, it, not a pain point, but just 
point of concentration was making sure that we had a product that fit the needs of the real estate owners and mm-hmm. then also the needs of the investors and making sure that both sides were aligned. Just so it's a, it's a balancing act with everything that we do. I feel like if the pendulum is too far on one side versus the other, you don't have a good experience or a good product or you just have a little bit of discourse. Mm-hmm. So it's really the balancing act to make sure that we cover and address the needs of both of our primary customers because they both are customers that we right. work with and creating a product that melds together from a regulatory perspective. I know this sounds a little bit weird, but we sort of view them as a value add. So both FINRA and the SEC, because at the end of the day, they want the exact same thing that we do, which is investor protection and just good and good actors throughout the entire process. So it's really more working together instead of saying yes or no. Um, So we view them as beneficial for this entire process. Huh? I I don't think I've ever heard anyone, um, (laughs) <laughs> you regulators is like a as a uh in such positive light so i gotta i gotta give you kudos on that i mean that i would look at it as a pain in the butt because i'd be like get out of my way i want to do something so cool but you've got obviously a different perspective here well think about why they're here right they're to protect us um because i mean it's sort of it's like why were rules created in the first place is because someone did something in the past and then hurt someone else. So that's usually why the rule was then put in place. Right. So they're here to help people, not to actually be a hindrance. Um, yeah. I feel this, is, this is where my rebel spirit, my, my uh, East Coast, are you originally East Coast? Because you're in New York now. Uh, so I, I've lived both on the East Coast and in the Midwest in St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. So maybe I'm falsely attributing this to the being on the East Coast, but when you said, uh, think about why rules are here, my first thing was for someone to break. <laughs> That's the entrepreneur in you. You just have the balancing act, right? It's a balancing <laughs> act, you know. In the middle. I look at rules as guidelines and uh, you follow the rules, you know, you make sure you don't. Yeah, anyway. Well, that's like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. It's like parlay. Yeah, what is Yeah, it's not a rule, so to speak. No, but I totally understand. And actually, I think that there's a lot to be said there because, you know, especially when it comes to um, financial products, the history doesn't always look so good on the institutions that have been in charge or have been the ones controlling the money. It doesn't always it doesn't always look good because, well, there wasn't always good practice. So um, ideally the rules that are put in place should both benefit and protect the end consumer. And so I, I have to applaud you for that because that's a, it's a, it's a very consumer centric approach. Um, I don't know if you can see it. You can kind of see it right behind me over my, uh, my one shoulder on, on the, on the wall there. It's one of our values here at avail is customer centricity. Um, so, you know, I, I can appreciate that approach um, as well. Um, we'll. We'll keep it moving here because I, I want to keep, uh, we'll go into one area that I like to go into with pretty much every guest is, is funding, if that's okay with you. So uh, I looked you guys up on Crunchbase. Uh, I don't know if Crunchbase is accurate for you guys. It says you've raised a little bit of money. Can you tell me about um what you guys have raised and if you plan on raising more? 
Yeah, so the last financing round we did was for approximately $4 million. And it was okay. led by Alan Patrickoff of Graycroft Ventures. So he was the founder of that group. And then actually the co-lead was also Thor Equities, mm-hmm. uh, a $20 billion real estate private equity firm. And I would say in financing, like when, when you're going to raise, figure out what you need to raise, who you want to raise it from, who you want to be in business with, since mm-hmm. when you're going and taking other people's money, uh, two things are happening. One, at least with me, I get very anxious and I want to make sure that I do everything in my power to create value and do what's best for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I, that's what keeps me up at night is just making sure that I do right by everyone that we deal with. But the other thing is, and I sort of joke with this, you spend more people, you spend more time with the people in your office and the people that you do business with, at least in at least I do right now than I do with my family and my significant others. Yeah. But make sure you like the people you're going into business with since it really is a marriage of one sort or, or another and it's a multi-year marriage. So you yeah. have to make sure that you're okay going and talking and working with these people every single day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and obviously, you know, that, that, that's both like who you're hiring, who you're partnering with, and then, you know, could also extend to investors. Uh, I'm assuming you're not, well, maybe you are. Are you not? Are you positioned up in your investor's office, or? Uh, so actually, we are. Uh, our office is in one of our investors' buildings. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, okay. so, like, we sit sort of side by side with them as well. So, I see them literally every day. <laughs> yeah, I mean that even further uh, emphasize like make sure you're doing business with who you really want to do business with. It's not just um, it's not just the go out get a check and and then have some champagne with a fancy office. No, no, not at all. And will this, um, this will obviously then get you guys through into um, pushing the, the company, uh, you know, live, put the product live. I was curious though, is by way of the platform, is it, are you able to basically self-fund yourself through the platform at all? Yes. The only thing that you have to take into account is how quickly you're looking to grow. Okay. Sort of. It's a, it's a cost benefit analysis of saying, okay, if we take this amount of money, what metrics might we be able to hit more quickly than if we were self doing it ourselves. And then right. also you can potentially bring strategics, which can also bring outside value to help you open up markets and then also align yourself um, with the goals that they're looking for as well. Yep. So it really is a breakdown and for every single company, and sort of founder, co-founders who are going through this process, it's something you have to analyze carefully because sometimes you don't need to do a venture capital round. You might look for private family offices. You might look for private equity. You may look to take venture debt first, which can also cover you if you're looking to hit certain metrics. So understand what your cost of capital is and what you're actually looking to use it and achieve with it. And make your own determination. We, we, I didn't ask you this beforehand. Is your background in, in startups and, and finance? Uh, so my background actually is primarily in real estate, private equity. I did okay. actually um, sort of own a small retail clothing company that we sold back in uh, 2018. Okay. I'm actually based out of Lexington, Kentucky. So I like Lexington. I've been there. Well, man, it's been years. 
but it was years ago. But I liked it there. It's a nice place. It, it's gorgeous. It's horse country. Um, I don't know if you've ever done the Bourbon Trail. It's a lot of fun. No, I've never been on the Bourbon Trail. I, I went there back in the day when I was a um, I was an announcer for a professional stunt show team. So different, different life, different career. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was just, I was just a carny, the short of it. <laughs> I love it. Well, next but time I'm, you make it down there, try and make it to Keeneland, which is the local racetrack. There it is. In Lexington. Yeah. Well, so, okay. But um, I no, I appreciate you sharing that because it, obviously you have an astute understanding of, um, I think that's the right word, a good understanding. I'm going to just use that one of how and uh, to think about, funding your business through raising money, whether it's a debt round or whether it's an equity round, um, you know, there's way things to weigh there, how fast you want to grow the business and even how important is that to achieving the business goals? I mean, sometimes fast growth doesn't make the business do better. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I think, right. I think this, you know, we're probably entering a season where we're going to see more and more cases. I don't think we'll see a lot more as pronounced as we work, but we're going to see a lot of cases where, Growing fast and raising lots of money doesn't equal best. Mm-hmm. And also, and on the WeWork note, I actually think WeWork was a fundamentally good company and helped ex- like expand the market. It was a market leader. I think mm-hmm. the problem actually was just pricing and valuation. Mm-hmm. Where instead of going out at a forty billion, it might have been a four billion. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the whole idea of making sure that you're pricing companies appropriately. Yeah. I mean, that's all, that's all a matter of framing. Yeah. How you frame the deal or even perspective price anchoring, I guess it was all, all kind of baked into there, but I mean, I mean, that was a factor of like 10 X though. So that's kind of a, yeah. so there was a slight, (laughs) slight detail there, But yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that though, because, um, you know, I know that listeners of the show are other founders. Some are already working in, you know, they're pursuing their seed or series A and then others are still aspirational. Um, and, you know, thinking through of like, when should we raise or should we raise and even who do we get that money from and, and all that. Um, I just think that there's, there's a lot more than what the common headlines point to. And I would say go to Twitter, but like, you know, VC Twitter right now, I don't know. I can't sometimes read through the jokes. <laughs> I can't tell what's real anymore. I because know. The, the real stuff is actually the same as the parody accounts. Um, which shout out to Zach Ahrens who turned me on to uh, following more parody accounts. Um, because now I, I can't help it. Uh, I can't tell what's real and what's not. Yeah, I can't tell anymore, but it also makes my day that just mu- that much brighter. Um, <laughs> I lock into Twitter and I get all the entertainment I could ever want. Um, very cool. Well, okay, well, let's, let's keep going uh, uh, before we digress too far. We're going to move on to one of my favorite segments of the show. Uh, this is called For the Future. Mm-hmm. Uh, For the Future is where I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Drew, are you ready to play? I'm ready to play. All right, let's do this. Question number one, what does Lex look like one year from now? So I may be sitting here and having the same conversation 365 days right now and then talking about the successes that we've been able to hit. So, I mean, number one, having the product come to market and then sort of educating as many people as possible along the way. 
and then being able to provide more capital solutions to more real estate owners and then allowing investors to participate on the other side as well. Very cool. Uh, question number two, and I know we didn't really get into this. Uh, maybe we did a little bit with WeWork, but um, what will prop tech as an industry look like one year from now? So it's interesting, right? Because we just talked about WeWork and then that got people sort of a little bit down, slowed down a little bit on the sort of co-working space. Mm -hmm. However, we've seen that even after the sort of headache of going through WeWork, we've now seen that PropTech has continued to continue strong. So at least my prediction is that we'll see a similar trend since it's a, it's a really large asset class. And yeah. there are so many issues still to address and we can still continue to optimize. I'm very optimistic actually. Yeah. I, I like to hear that. Um, I think that bodes well for both of us as well as this show. Yes. <laughs> All right. Question number three, what's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? <sighs> the gray hairs and the, um, the wrinkles that come from dealing Dealing with commercial <laughs> real estate owners, I think, will uh, continue since it really it's an educational process on both sides, right? Yeah. And when you're dealing with industries that have been around for so long, um, it takes a little bit of time to educate. But once they're educated, they help educate themselves and others in the space. So I hope actually it'll sort of the status quo as is right now will actually start to go away because there'll be slightly more uh, faster adopters coming into this space. But I do think for both sides, it's we're bringing in a new product that they haven't really seen. So we get to go to school and educate. Yeah. I, I love that attitude, by the way. Um, you know, uh, I, I, before we, we get off the line here, I got I have someone I want to introduce you to. So ask me about that after the show, uh, just because of what you just said. Uh, all right. Last one here, question number four, what's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of technological advances? I think, and this is a really interesting one, and I'm really excited Go about this, is there's been such a lack of transparency, both sort of on a micro and even a macro level in many cases, on what exactly hap is happening, and also the integrity of the data we're receiving of across the board, everything from title insurance all the way to where a is actually executing what this true sales price were, what tenant improvement or concessions were given, who was paid what, when, when did the deals even actually execute? It's amazing. It's, it's surprising that we have so many uncertainties and mm -hmm. we're not totally sure how accurate our data is. I think we will have over the upcoming years a change away from that and actually truly go to the fundamentals so we can actually do quantitative analysis um, with quite certainty on the accuracy of the information we're dealing with. You know, um, oh man, I, I've probably shared this story before, but even down to, and I don't want to say the most basic, but the most basic residential transaction. Um, so in a previous life, I was a residential real estate agent. And on my very first deal, uh, because of the brilliant way I decided to use a blank addendum, uh, I ended up 
confusing the title agent who decided not to call me and ask for clarification. They just decided to um, count our concession twice. So a $12,500 concession turned into a $25,000 concession. And no one knew this until the net sheet was released from the title company, like three hours before closing. Mm -hmm. And just because I was a new agent, I didn't know that you weren't, you weren't expected to read it. They didn't expect me to read it. So I read it because I thought, I don't know, this is paperwork and it's legal. It seems like the thing you should do for your client. And I read it and I was like, oh, there's a problem here. And I called them up and they were so shocked that I read it. They were so shocked I read the net term sheet. And what blows me away more when you just said that is the fact that those details weren't even available to my client prior to three hours beforehand. Now, I could have written up and I shouldn't have written up a, a, an estimated net term sheet for them. Like they should have seen that beforehand. Um, but even still, there was nothing to provide the clarity of that until they got to the signing table. And then what are you going to do? You can't back out at that point. All, all options are, have been exercised. You know, I mean, you can't get out. So, you know, I think you're right. The, the uh, transparency as to what's happening in the deal all the way along, even down to the simplest of deals, has to increase. There's just no way around it because people just don't know all the pieces involved in this. Um, and it's, it's honestly, it's unfair. I like to equate it as this. Uh, you know, for people, um, if you're inexperienced and you want to, you know, go FISBO or, or buy without an agent and then you go up against an agent who's experienced. It's like, you ever played Catan, the board game? Yeah. Okay, play Catan for your very first time never ever opening the rule book against someone who wins all the time. Not going to be a good situation. No, it's terrible. Now, just apply that to hundreds of thousands of dollars for the average consumer. It's totally unfair and I don't want to say the system is rigged. It's, I don't believe it's rigged. It's just not clear. And I, so you kind of hit a soft spot for me. Um, I, I think it should be more clear. Uh, and I think that's better for everybody. Yeah. And just have an, have an open playing field, right? Yeah. Just yep. have transparent information being accessible to everyone. All right. I'm off my soapbox. We're going to move into the last three here. <laughs> sure. These questions are more about you. So we get to know you better. Uh, the first one is what are you reading? So right now, I actually just started uh, Ray Dalio's Principles, uh, and it's been an interesting read so far. I have to admit, I just started this like three days ago. That's so okay. I'm not very far, uh, but I like to sort of balance sort of books that can help me grow and learn, and then there's also sometimes just a fun little tidbit of going back and dealing with some fiction that can also make you sort of question and sort of figure out how your brain is working. So I just finished up Sherlock Holmes uh, by, okay. by Sir Arthur uh, Conan Doyle. So it's a nice balancing act of you have the brilliant minds on one side who's fictional and then brilliant minds who are actually participating in the markets right now. Yeah, I can dig that. Uh, question number two, who are you learning from? Everyone, I have to say. It really is everyone. Um, I'm talking truly our investors, our partners who are working with in the markets, the great team that we built here at Lex. It really is every single day I come to the office, I feel like I'm learning something new and it's sort of an experience of growing together. Um, same thing, not even just within the team, but also with the investors, our partners, 
and even the financial institutions and real estate owners we're working with, since with the financial institutions who are like already integrating with, it really is an experience because they haven't seen this product. So they're not sure if it's going into their public equities group. Is it going into their real estate group, but they primarily deal with debt. Is it going into their alternatives group? So it's sort of fun because you're going to learn every single day. And I think yeah. when you stop learning, that's when you stop growing. And so I'm lucky enough to have the opportunity to grow with all of these people together. And in many cases, they're the industry leaders. Yeah. So it's also fun getting to work with them. All right. Very cool. And then the last one here, what inspires you? So I would say I have a few inspirational models. One, um, my close family members, my parents, since without them, I wouldn't be the person who I am today. Mm-hmm. And then I would also say uh, one, one person who I really look up to is uh, one of our lead investors, Alan Patrickoff since in my opinion, he's a Titan of industry since mm-hmm. he's been doing this for longer than I've been alive and he's forgotten more than I will ever know. <laughs> uh, it's just a privilege and an honor to work with him and learn from him since, I mean, he's created a multi-billion dollar private equity firm. He then created a large venture capital firm and is known as one of the grandfathers of venture capital. So I look to be able to follow in his footsteps and I don't need to make the same mistakes as others have. I can learn from people who have been down this path. And that's sort of why we're here to always continue learning because why make the same mistakes? Yeah, no, I, I, I would totally align with that. And it sounds like you've uh, found someone pretty great to be able to learn from. Um, good on you guys. Um, Drew, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you being able to take the time and, and share so much of what you shared. And I think what you guys are working on is pretty cool. Excited to get the email to let me know I can sign up for the, what did you, how did you call it? The early intent of it, interest? Uh, indication of interest. Indication of interest. Is that a specific industry term? Yes, exactly. Okay. So not a, not a, a term. other rules um, when going through this pre-offering period where you're testing the waters, but we dot the I's and cross the T's and check it three times. Well, you're good. You, you know it, you nailed it. Um, before we close out, I want to give uh, everyone an opportunity. If they want to get in touch with you or learn more about Lex, where do they go and how do they do that? Uh, so one, feel free to visit our website, which is www.lex-markets.com. And then also, if you want to reach me directly, feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. And also my email is drew at lex-markets.com. There it is. And I'll also have a bunch of links in the show uh, description or notes. Uh, You can find that all on techness.io. So if you want to just get the quick links uh, to everything, you'll be able to find it there. Uh, We're going to sign off from Facebook and stop live streaming. Um, and then, um, yeah, appreciate your time. We will catch you, catch up. I'd love to check up, uh, in a year from now, see where you guys are at. Cause obviously, you know, uh, at that point, well, I'll get to see how well my investments are doing. <laughs> we'll get to do a live on air. How's my portfolio? That'll either say something good about me or good about you or hopefully yeah, you, might, you might be an industry leader in the space. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to go nurse this cough. Uh, and then we'll check you later. Thank you, Nate. It's been a pleasure. All right.
Well, that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening to the Tech Nest podcast. Hey, don't forget, you can get on the email list. You never miss an upcoming episode. That's technest.io. That's T-E-C-H-N-E-S-T dot I-O. Get on the email list. Uh, go to the App Store, whether you found us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you found us. Leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. And if you've got a guest or someone that you'd like to recommend, or if you think that you'd be a great guest on the show, hey, send me an email, nate at realteampanda.com. That's nate at realteampanda.com. See you guys later.